In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Welcome to Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church online worship service. Whether you've been a member for decades or just stumbled onto this video, we are delighted to have you worshiping here with us today. While we are apart one from the other in this time of isolation, of social upheaval and political discord, the church has not and will not cease to be the church. I encourage you now to pause this video and click on the document underneath this window for the bulletin and announcements this week. There you can follow along with the service and read more information about the following announcements and others. This Sunday and next Sunday, all are invited to an educational opportunity about the history of the main line through an anti-racist lens. At 2 p.m. via Zoom today, Executive Director of Herodin House, Bruce Gill, will share the history and legacy of the northernmost slave plantations in the U.S. Next week, at the same time, attendees will hear from Craig Bailey, a Villanova historian, as he teaches about the stories and history of the local African-American community on the main line. These webinars are presented in partnership with Bethel AME Church of Ardmore. For more information, please review the bulletin announcements. Next Sunday, October 25th from 1 to 3, children and youth will be collecting toiletry items for our local friends struggling with homelessness. Items like toothbrushes, soap, shampoo and conditioner, and hand sanitizers. Drive in and drop off your donations between the sanctuary and the chapel. For more information on the ideal donations, please see the announcements in the bulletin. And lastly, while we continue to meet virtually for the sake of safety, we know many miss being in our sacred spaces. All are welcome to pray silently in the chapel on Tuesdays from 8 to 9 a.m. and Thursdays from 2 to 5.30 p.m. Prayer guides will be available to lead you in devotion and to mark your seat as occupied when you leave. Attendees will be asked to sign in, wear masks, and practice social distancing. More details can be found in the bulletin announcements. And now, friends, let us put aside all that distracts us and turn to the worship of God. Join me in prayer. O oh, loving God, to turn away from you is to fall, to turn toward you is to rise, and to stand before you is to abide forever. Grant us, dear Lord, in all our duties your help, in all our uncertainties your guidance, in all our dangers your protection, and in all our sorrows your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When we read scripture, we see how God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Know you are forgiven. I invite you now to join our choir in singing hymn number 619, Praise My Soul, the God of Heaven.
as we prepare our hearts and minds to hear the word of God for us this day. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we prepare our hearts to hear a story we think we know well, illumine these words in new ways that they may lay claim to our hearts and fuel our action as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. From the Acts of the Apostles. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, 
And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I cannot count the number of times I've heard this story invoked in conversations when people have been invited to share something about their experience of faith. You know how this goes. You're with a group of church folks introducing yourselves and everyone is asked to give others a glimpse of their faith journey. These kinds of conversations often take place during retreats or officer training or in confirmation classes or a new group of fellowship and adult education. And almost invariably, someone will make a comparison to Paul's conversion like this. Well, I've never had a Damascus Road kind of experience, but I grew up in the church. Or my first memory of church was attending with my grandparents. Or I moved when I was in high school and a friend invited me to youth group. These almost apologetic comparisons to Paul's conversion could make you wonder if most of us have had a lightning bolt entrance into the faith when in reality... Most people come to trust in God through the faith of our parents and grandparents or growing up in the church or by the simple invitation of another. Paul's kind of conversion may not be common, but it does testify to the power of God as a wonderfully dramatic, fantastic, bewildering, and miraculous moment for the church at large. The book of Acts will tell it two more times, and the letters of Paul will refer to it repeatedly. We've already had a glimpse of the Saul we encounter today. Remember how he watched from the sidelines as Stephen was stoned to death? And how he dragged women and men from their homes to prison if they were followers of Christ? So animated is he by his violent power today, we find him traveling well over a hundred miles just to bring Christians back from Damascus to Jerusalem bound in chains. But the living Christ has had enough of Saul's persecution and intervenes with this very dramatic conversion, a complete reversal of his evil ways. Saul is changed from seeing to being blind. He is changed from leading captives home in chains to being dependent on others to lead him. He is changed from exercising violent power to being overpowered by Jesus. No wonder this conversion story of Saul plays big in our imaginations. No wonder most of us describe our own faith with quieter, more humble descriptors by comparison. But there is another 
conversion in this text that should not be overlooked, even if it gets lost in the shadows as soon as that blinding light puts Saul on center stage. This other conversion may be more akin to our own experiences of engaging the ways of Jesus Christ. I'm talking, of course, about Ananias. While Saul is harassing disciples, Ananias is simply described as a disciple He, too, receives a vision from the Lord. He is understandably doubtful because he knows Saul by reputation. When asked to go and lay his hands upon the villainous Saul, Ananias rightfully protests, But, Lord, he perpetrates evil against you and your disciples. He uses his power and authority against you and your people. The Lord, however, responds to his protest by promising to to turn the evil Saul into an instrument of the gospel. Then on that word alone, Ananias goes and does a remarkable thing. He enters Saul's room and calls him brother. You see, two conversions are taking place here. One may be so dramatic it's hard to imagine being struck by a lightning bolt, rendered blind, and forced to change the mission from sheer evil to unimaginable goodness. And then there's the other conversion that may come a bit closer to home. The willingness to change your perspective of righteous judgment and indignation toward others and instead open one's heart to proclaim that member, that a member of your family, your brother, your sister. Biblical scholar Matt Skinner says of these two conversions, What's important here is not that Saul sees a flash and hears a voice, nor that Ananias encounters Jesus. Rather, the key detail is that each of their experiences expands the vision of what is real and what is possible. Each of them changes his mind and direction when Jesus comes near. So in our day, we know new perspectives rarely take hold easily. They often require something outside of ourselves, an idea, a message, another person, to open us up to a new way of seeing the world and accepting one another. Here, Ananias walks into a house where the church's presumed archenemy waits for him, and the church's archenemy becomes the church's greatest advocate and evangelist. Hope for a new day dawning is unleashed throughout the world. 
Theologian Paul Tillich once said that the saint is a saint not because he or she is good, but because he or she is transparent for something that is more than one's self. Being a window of opportunity, being a means of grace, being a place in which the Holy Spirit makes its dwelling is the vocation of ordinary people. This, he said, was the miracle of resurrection. Not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that you and I may rise from the death in which we now find ourselves and become in our ordinary lives beings of extraordinary witnesses of Christ. In this moment in which we are surrounded by death and despair, if we're looking for a conversion with which to identify, let's look to Ananias. The big conversion of Saul is God's indictment of a culture that has become so violent and oppressive and in which we can find persecution of every form in systemic modes of racism, classism, sexism, and xenophobic persecution of the other. But in this season of deep division about all manner of things, from politics to religion, from how best to achieve a greater equality to how to serve the common good, it's the conversion of Ananias that is meant to come into our homes and lay hands upon us. In our time, wrote Presbyterian churchman and theologian Shirley Guthrie, to live in Jesus' company is to believe in and live by the good news of the love of God, which includes rich and poor, black and white, male and female, moral and immoral, political liberals and conservatives, those who share our religious convictions and those who do not. And in our time, the greatest barrier to faithful proclamation of this good news, the greatest barrier to others hearing and believing it, is the self-righteous, exclusiveness of insiders. Guthrie went on, We should have religious debates in the church about what is good and true and authentically Christian, but we would be modest about the correctness of people who were on our side. We should be willing to learn and be corrected by others. And even when differences remain, we should seek to demonstrate in the church's life and the public policies the church advocates the love of God that includes and wills the common good for all people everywhere. No one 
excluded, everyone included. Friends, are we ourselves willing to embrace this new hope for what might be possible in us and in our world in our time? From our own narrow corners where we hunker down with our own worldview, are we willing to be converted, redirected, repentant of old ways of being, and freed from letting our judgments of others get in the way of calling them brother or sister? Years ago in South Africa, when Nelson Mandela came out of prison and sought to unify that country as the long systemic racism of apartheid was dismantled, he formed the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. You remember how the commission invited those who had perpetrated oppression, torture, and secret killings at the hands of the government to come forward and confess the truth of what they had done, leading these people not to imprisonment, but to amnesty. The hope was that the truth-telling would heal the country so that they would not live as a nation of oppressors and oppressed, but as one people. The work of the commission would be deemed absurd, except for those believers like Desmond Tutu, who said, God does not give up on anyone. For God loves us all, for all eternity. God loves us now, and God will love all of us, good and bad. God's love will not let us go. That's why the conversion of both Saul and Ananias was all about being overpowered by the love of Jesus Christ. Conversion to this kind of faith always results in a change from self-absorbed righteousness to the righteousness of God, a willingness to move in the direction of Jesus Christ, participating as ordinary people in the healing of the world. So may we be willing to be converted anew, to become more transparent for the work of the Holy Spirit to shine through. Amen.
As we enter a new season of stewardship, we continue to be incredibly grateful for the generosity of this congregation. Thank you for your gifts, your time, talents, and treasure that further the work of God's kingdom here in this place and beyond. In the same spirit, we invite you to continue offering your gifts and pledges by using the link provided. Holding the joys, burdens, anxieties, and concerns of our friends and neighbors, our loved ones, and even for our own lives, let us look to God in prayer. Holy God, to whom we turn in our trouble and from whom we receive life and well-being, even in the face of death, Here we are now before you. We gladly and without reservation assert, you are the one who gives life. You are the one who hears our prayers. You are the one who turns our jungles of threat into peaceable zones of life. You are the one who has kept us since birth, who stands by us in our failure and shame who moves against our anxiety to make us free, whose presence abides with us even when we are not aware. So we praise you. We worship you. We adore you. Be with us now, Holy One, as we move forward in a season of of continued pandemic as we live in these last weeks of an exhaustive election, as people still suffer, wars still rage, and the violence of the world spins on, in Christ you have offered us a new way, a 
a new way to live and move and have our being. Help us to follow that way, to heal those who are hurting, to comfort those who grieve, to house those who are homeless, to speak for those who are silenced, to bless and forgive those who mean to destroy. We don't get the last word, O God. You do. And in Jesus, your last word breaks all the other words. Hear the prayers of your people and grant that what we ask in faith we may receive according to your last and lasting word of life in Jesus Christ, who taught us and his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now we welcome Keith and Becky Brinks to offer a moment of reflection on their connection to our congregation. Becky and I both grew up in families where Christian faith and church played a central role. Becky grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh and I, Kalamazoo, Michigan. When we married and moved to the Bryn Mawr area, it wasn't a surprise that we would look for a church home. We were drawn to the Bryn Mawr community for its reputation and excellent preaching. Dr. Waldemuller was senior pastor at the time, excellent music, and a wealth of programs. We had hoped to find a community with similar values and purpose. We thought we could ease our way into the community, sitting in the back of the sanctuary and consuming the church's offerings without getting too involved. That only lasted a few months before we were asked to help lead the youth ministry program. Now, almost 40 years later, I'm still involved with youth ministry, and Becky works with youth at the Episcopal Academy, coordinating their community service program. Through the life changes of raising a family, changing jobs, losing parents, getting older, the church has been a constant. When our two children, now adults, reflect on Brynmar Presbyterian favorite church stories, inevitably come up. As small children roaming through the nooks and crannies of the gym while the dads played basketball on Saturday mornings, the youth choir trip to Cuba, fulfilling mission trips with longtime Sunday school friends and crazy camp skits. And while Bryn Mawr has nurtured our family and faith, it has also been a place to be challenged, to examine our faith and beliefs, and to consider our responsibility to the greater community and the world, and to respond. Volunteering with WePAC led me to another career as a teacher, first in West Philadelphia, and then to my current role at Episcopal. Traveling to Lebanon and Syria with a small group from Bryn Mawr was an eye-opening adventure like no other, and left me with a greater perspective about history, faiths, war, resilience, and geopolitics. We have both served as deacons and elders, members of pastoral search committees, and numerous other boards and subcommittees, privileged to serve this community that means so much to us. 
we look on with amazement and pride at how deftly Bryn Mawr's pastors and staff have adapted to the pandemic with Zoom church, meetings, and Sunday school, working so hard to maintain connections and to continue to nurture us and lift us up as a community. Yes, we look forward to finding our, our seats at the eight o'clock service or our familiar pew at 10, serving communion or standing in the parking lot. But until then, as the hymn instructs, God be with you till we meet again. and be at peace. And may the reconciling work of the Holy Spirit be at work in your life and through your life for others. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and all those you love and all God's children everywhere this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.